Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. We're in a short series, now just three weeks, uh, talking about our mission. And as I said last week, we're doing this specifically because I I want to be extra sure that we as a church don't get caught up in looking ahead or maybe even losing the plot as we are anticipating our move um, uh, Churches do have a tendency to be sort of overcome by building stuff when building stuff is happening. And I want to make sure that we don't get knocked off our course and we're anchored in um, who we really, really are. So that's what we're working on in this little series. And to that end, I've had, uh, I shared with you last week again, um, three images in my head for months now. Um, and I think, I think each one of these images is going to help us understand who we are and how we intend to move forward. That's the plan. Last week, uh, was an image of a very large sailboat. Uh, if you were not here last week, I just want to encourage you to get the podcast. I'm not saying it's an especially good sermon, it, but it is an especially important sermon, a really important message. So I want to encourage you to uh, grab the podcast. And you might remember from last week, if you were here, um, we talked about grammar for a little bit. Um, and the, the, the southern genius that is the word y'all. Um, just a little follow-up on that. I've heard uh, from quite a few Yankees in our church uh, since then. And just so you know, I say Yankees with all, and that's a term of endearment for me, so that's not, a, that's not, but I've heard from quite a few who have said, you know what, we get it, y'all, is, it's great and everything, uh, but it's not like we don't have a solution for this as well, uh, we've got used guys, and um, what, isn't that just as good, isn't that just as useful, isn't that just as good a solution as y'all, and to that I just want to say clearly and definitively, no it's not, y'all <laughs> is so much better. And you, you might say, well, why? Why is it so much better? Because I'm from here and I'm biased. That's why. You can, you can have your opinion and I can, I can have mine. Uh, so anyway, yeah, podcast if you missed last week. This week, different image. Uh, the image is trees. Actually, the image is a forest. Uh, important distinction, actually. Individually, individually, we're like trees. Collectively, it's a family. Uh, we're like a forest. And so this is not, let me be clear, this is not a stretch at all. Uh, this is not just something Aaron has come up with in his own head. Um, this is all over scripture, the parallels between us and trees, beginning actually in the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. So I'm going to point out something about the creation narrative. If you're a church kid, you've heard and read that lots of times, but something that might be new that I think, it's a little nerdy, but I still think it's kind of cool. There's a uh, stack of biblical scholars out there, a ton of them actually, who pointed out that, stick with me, the first three days of creation are paralleled by the next three days. So, so you have days one, two, and three, and then days four, five, and six kind of map over days one, two, and three, and they, um, they build on and add to what was created in days one, two, and three. So let me explain it. Day one, uh, God created the light, and he separated it from the darkness. That was day one. Then day four, that would be the corresponding day that sort of parallels. Day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars to govern the night and the day. Do you guys see the connection there? 
Never lost so many of you so quickly in a sermon. <laughs> Let's see if we can do better on the next one. Uh, on day two, God separated the waters and the skies. On day five, it's parallel. God fills the waters and the skies with fish and birds. Do y'all see it? Yeah, thank you. Good, some aggressive nodding from kind people. And on day three, God caused the land to emerge, filled the land with vegetation, filled it specifically with trees. And on day six, it's parallel. God filled that land with animals and specifically with us, with humans. So day three, trees. Day six, us. And there are more parallels even in that story. Uh, Trees are made from the dirt, are supposed to stay rooted, have seed, and bear fruit. Humans are made from the dirt, are supposed to stay rooted, have seed, and bear fruit. Um, This is the first of a whole bunch of times that the Bible asks us to stop and notice this parallel. We're like trees. And this is something that we're supposed to notice, we're supposed to, I think, uh, reflect on, something we should think deeply about. Because it continues throughout Scripture. We're going to look at like just a small sample, but some that sort of stand out for me from a very long list. Um, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So you've got the people who go the way of the world. You've got the people who go the way of God. And then for the second category, here's verse 3. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their, trees, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. That's an incredible set of promises for people who are anchored in the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, but later. Um, but real similar, you'll notice the similarities between the two. Um, verse five, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Verse seven, but Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank. Is this sounding familiar yet already? With roots that reach deep into the water, such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Again, another incredible list of promises and really similar truth too. And so this tree comparison uh, It's obviously a good thing. Scripture's saying, again, keep thinking about this. We're like trees, and it's good that we would be like trees. Another really significant example, at least for the the great big story of Scripture, um, is in Isaiah chapter 11, where you read about another tree. This one is the stump of a tree. Uh, The stump of Jesse, it's called uh, a tree that has been chopped down that comes to new life from that tree. From that tree, a new branch emerges, Um, and it's made clear that that branch will be the Messiah, and that Messiah will bring salvation, that Messiah will establish his kingdom here on the earth, and that, of course, is talking about Jesus. And so now Jesus is like a tree, too. And then Jesus did indeed come, and he taught us how to live. He taught us a whole bunch of things, including how to be good trees that bear good fruit, as opposed to bad trees that bear bad fruit. And um, Jesus came to do many things, but a huge fundamental part of what he came to do 
uh, was to solve the problem that we all have under the curse of death because we were cursed from a tree in the garden. So Jesus came and became a curse for us, dying on a tree to save us. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And as a result of Christ's sacrifice and his redemption for us, uh, we are given new life and salvation, and we will one day be in a new heaven and a new earth. And that new heaven and new earth is described in a number of places, but one of the places we get a description is at the very end of the Bible, the very last chapter of the Bible. So now we've looked at the very first and now the very last chapter in Scripture. Revelation chapter 22 says this, first five verses, or actually we'll read the first two or three. Um, then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit in every month. The trees of the, le- uh, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We'll stop there. Um, you may remember, this might ring a bell a bit from a few weeks ago, when we talked about the significance of the number 12 and the number 70, and how the number 12 corresponds to the nation of Israel, the number 70 corresponds to all the nations, and here we see 12, and here we see the nations right here in this text as well. Um, and they all tie back to uh, the tree of life healing for the nations from that tree. So, lots to explain there that I'm just not going to explain, okay? But what I'm doing, I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a, a picture um, I'm not making this up. Uh, This is a well-established biblical theme in lots of places, literally from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end. We're like trees, and that's a good thing. Trees are a really big deal. Okay, now let's go back to something we talked about last week, uh, which is our radically individualized cultural wiring. We live in a profoundly individualistic culture. And it's very much the air that we breathe. It's the way we largely understand the world because that's what we've been surrounded by at all times. This, again, dramatically individualized society. I want to read you a quote. Uh, This is from David Brooks from a very good book, by the way, called The Second Mountain. Not written from a Christian perspective necessarily, but uh, just an incredibly helpful book. Anyway, he says this. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. There's always a tension between self and society. Think about this. Between the individual and the group. Over the past 60 years, we have swung too far toward the self. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people toward relation, community, and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for, yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. And again, because that is, again, the air that we breathe, we're just, it is by default, we think of the individual as more important than the group, whereas throughout human history, across time and memorial, across cultures around the world, uh, this is a really new phenomenon. Throughout history and human societies, people have thought of the group as more important than the individual. That's that's our anchor, that's where we move from, is the group, the individual secondary, and that has flipped in our context, this is a major, major, major shift. Uh, this affects us in lots and lots of ways, um, but we're talking about trees. When I say picture a tree, <laughs> we probably default to a single tree. 
a single tree standing alone in a yard or wherever. And if I say picture a tree, you probably may not actually envision the natural habitat of trees, which is in a, a forest. Um, maybe we think of that, the sort of American ideal of, of the lone oak standing tall and, and strong and, and isolated. But that's not the natural habitat for trees. That's not where they grow on their own. The natural habitat, as you can see behind me, is a forest. Okay, so with that stuff in mind, I, I said last week that for each of these three messages, um, I, have, I have a little school lesson prepared. I'm thinking of our students. I know how much they miss school and they want to get up and learn something. So um, I have a school lesson prepared. Last week it was grammar. Um, this week's lesson is, is biology. Actually, we go a bit more specifically. Um, the study of plants. Anybody know what the study of plants is? Botany. Very good class. Let's see if we can't drill in a bit more deeply. The study of trees. Dendrology. EJ, how many services have you been to today? Oh, did you? Oh, I was gonna. I was just gonna call out EJ for cheating because he's been here all three services. <laughs> but you got it. He's been to two services, also cheated. It's like, somebody knew dendrology, the study of trees? Dendrology, the study of trees. I know you woke up this morning thinking, let's learn some dendrology today. So here we go. Um, It's really fascinating the way God designed trees to function, and I don't say this lightly, in community. So uh, when trees get rooted and established in the ground, their roots... Um, connect and intertwine, and it makes it possible uh, for them to communicate with each other. And I don't say this lightly. We're looking at a forest of trees. These trees, in a real way, communicate with one another. They're also able to protect each other. Amazingly, they can even heal each other. I'll give you an example. If one tree is damaged, damaged, maybe a tree at the, uh, the edge of a forest and there's a great wind that comes through, and so they take the brunt of it, and, and a lot of their leaves are blown off. And if you don't have leaves as a tree, um, then you can't perform photosynthesis, which means you can't get nutrients from the sun, and that's a really big problem. So in, re- in response to that, the other trees around the damaged tree can sense this need. Are you listening to me right now? <laughs> they can sense it, and they will send the needed nutrients from themselves to the tree that is hurting through their root system. That's remarkable. Trees need other trees. Trees in a forest are a collective. They share needs. They share resources. They protect one another. They create an ecosystem. They create a microclimate together. And and trees, amazingly, trees that are rooted in barren soil that doesn't have a lot of nutrients, they are provided nutrients from other trees, often far away, that are in a more nutrient-rich soil, and it is transferred to them. Trees in dry places, same thing, get moisture from trees in wet and moist places. Trees equalize, they synchronize, so that they can all be equally successful and healthy, even though each of the trees have a different set of circumstances, planted in different soils, different access to light or protection from the elements, etc., etc. This doesn't happen until they get rooted and established. But when they do, trees become interdependent. And they maintain their individual identities as individual trees. That's a tree, that's a tree. If you chop one down, they don't all die. They're individual. 
but they are immersed in a mutually supportive collective that allows them to thrive together in ways they could never imagine thriving on their own. I think that's fascinating. If you also think that's fascinating, I got all of it from a book called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollobin, if you're curious. I just want to point out that's what we've seen in scriptures too. Um, I don't know if you noticed it, but it was always groups of trees. Not lone oaks, groups of trees. Um, even in the garden where trees are set aside the, the, or, or set apart, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge. Those are both individual trees, but they are in the midst of a, a garden. Um, and then I think this is fascinating as well. If you, if you study Revelation 22, which we read earlier, you, you may remember that there are trees lining both sides of the great river of God. That's the picture. Fascinating, though. The Bible calls it actually one tree. One tree, one collective, one almost like a super organism. So anyway, it was all so obvious. You surely have got it by now. Um, that's how God designed trees to work. And from Genesis to Revelation, we're like trees. That's kind of how God designed us to work. God's design for us not to be a lone oak. His design for us to be is to be a part of a forest, a vibrant community for us to be interdependent. As in, I rely on you, and you rely on me. As in, you help me when I am weak, or sick, or lonely, or sad, or scared, and I help you when you're weak, or sick, or lonely, or sad, or scared. We support one another, we sacrifice for one another, we rely on one another, we share. Um, And I just want to point out, before we get too focused on ourselves. It's just like we read in Revelation again. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. So as much as we're, and it's very true, we are here to support one another. Uh, we absolutely uh, do that and should do that and must do that. But we're not just here to support one another. Uh, this is a forest that exists for the well-being of the nations. We're not just here to get religious goods and services. Although I hope this is helpful to you. We are here, again, to join God in the renewal of all things. The idea is that our little forest can be an oasis to a place uh, where people are desperate to find rest and healing and nourishment. Now, so there's that. That's the picture. Um, I just want to point out, though, that what I'm discussing to you, it might sound great, awesome. Uh, It might also sound terrifying. Uh, Interdependence is a scary notion. I rely on you and you rely on me. That's, it sounds great. But there's something terrifying about interdependence. And you, you might think, okay, great, we'll rely on one another. We'll be there for each other. Awesome. What happens when we let each other down? Well, how am I supposed to really rely? That means if I rely on you, that means I'm not relying entirely on me. That means I'm putting my trust in you. And what happens when you fail me in that? For some people, that's terrifying. Or you might actually be thinking, no, what's scary about that is not people letting me down. What's scary about that is being in an interdependent, reliant community where I let people down, where people are counting on me and I don't come through, where people are leaning on me and I fail them. I just want to acknowledge that that is scary. That is scary. It's part of why 
the image of a forest is so incredibly important. It's not one tree relying on another. It's one tree relying on an entire collective. And so if you're not doing well and I'm not doing well, there's still a community who can support us both, even though we may not be well positioned to support one another. That's why the collective is so incredibly important. That's why it's so um, important as we see in Revelation and as we'll see again in Psalm that we are we are in densely nutrient-rich soil, the soil of heaven itself. Um, and the type of community that I'm talking about, also, it, it, means, it means being known. It means being laid bare. It means your weaknesses and your shortcomings and even your sins uh, being known to people around you and entrusting them uh, to serve you well with that instead of taking advantage of you when you've been made vulnerable. I just want to acknowledge that's, that's, a, that's a genuine, founded fear. I also want to acknowledge, by the way, that, that a lot of the fears that people have about engaging in community like that is just silly. I, I don't want to be mean, but some of them are just ridiculous. because, And it's, it's just proof, I think, that we've many of us imbibed this lie from the enemy that says, if people know that you're not perfect, they will reject you. They will hate you. They will be against you if they know that you're not perfect. And I just want to like pause and ask you, have you ever felt that way about anyone ever? What's far more likely is if we are under the impression that you're perfect, we might hate you for that. Don't you think that's true? The idea, not actually hate, but the idea that someone is just flawless and floats above us all in the cloud of Shekinah glory. It's like, no, that's not real. So when we're inauthentic with one another, that's actually when we're making ourselves more vulnerable, and people think if people know that I'm imperfect, then they will judge me for my imperfection, and I think the reality is if you put up a facade of perfection, people are far more likely to reject that. So this takes, again, just silly forms, like, all right, I I, I can't let people see my house. What if they see that it's not clean? I can't let people in my van. They'll see that my van's not entirely clean, and they'll judge me. Can I tell you something? If you have a van, and it's entirely clean, I'm way more likely to judge you for that. Then for it's like I don't like if you're like oh you got four kids and there's there's no goldfish anywhere in your van I'm like I don't, that's weird man I don't know if I can trust that person they're not a real person where does that even come from right and what will they say of my own my own shortcomings and my my own failures right so if we put up the facade of perfection we're actually not protecting ourselves from anything at all in some sense we might even be making ourselves more vulnerable and not less. And so I just, I, but I want to acknowledge that a measure of vulnerability where we're laid bare before one another is, it is genuinely terrifying. And, and those fears are founded because here's the reality. We will let one another down. We will fail one another. There is inherent risk that comes with an interdependent, mutually reliant community of people. Um, what I think you already know is that the risks inherent to that type of community are nothing compared to the risks of isolation. What you probably already know is that the threat of isolation is infinitely greater than the risk of community. And yet, if I were to take the time to try to explain why that's the case, I'm not sure it would make any real difference. 
I think that's a message that, again, you probably already know is true, but you have to receive from the Lord and not from me. I'm just a guy with a microphone attached to his face, but to the Spirit speaking to your soul to say, I've created a community of support and reliance that is better for you. And isolation is actually the greater threat. I think we have to hear that from the Lord. So it's one of the things we're going to hold space for. Um, one more text here. Um, this, this might be my favorite uh, tree text. I don't know, I'm saying a lot. But Psalm 92, 12 to 15, says this, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare the Lord is just. He's my rock. There's no evil in him. There's um, a lot to unpack there. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to center on one idea for just a minute here as we're about to wrap up, which is, it's actually in the very first verse that we read, that godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Um, you don't have to be a dendrologist. Now you guys know what that is. Um, you don't have to be a dendrologist to know that there's a real big difference between a cedar tree and a palm tree. And, and the Bible says that the godly are both. So just take what you know about palm trees, for example. What's amazing and unique and remarkable about palm trees is that they're anchored deeply in the soil. They can withstand any storm. And in the waves, or in the wind, what do they do? They bend and they flex. I said earlier that a gust of wind blowing the, the leaves off of a tree um, keep that tree from having photosynthesis and getting nutrients from the sun. That doesn't happen to palm trees. You know why? Because they're big. they got those huge leaves. Those big leaves that they have when the wind comes, they fold like a fan. And then they don't catch the wind and get ripped off. They're incredibly adapted to survive storms as they can bend and flex and you see the storm you know footage and you see them bent all the way touching the ground it's incredible to see how flexible they are and that's the type of tree it's incredible cedar trees are not like that at all cedar trees the same way deeply rooted deeply anchored don't give way in the midst of a storm but what they're known for is not bending at all um, in, in fact if you have a garden with particularly vulnerable plants in that garden then what people will often do intentionally is line the perimeter of that garden with cedar trees. Because when the winds and the storms come, they won't bend to the, the storm. They will stand up against the storm, not give an inch, and break the, the force of the wind in order to protect the vulnerable plants that they're surrounding. Okay? So they're, they're incredibly powerful, but in an entirely different way. Now some of you are wired up much more like palm trees. Some of you are wired up much more like cedar trees. Some of you are incredible. You can go with the flow and you're really flexible and you don't insist on your own way. And that's like, and thank God for you, right? Some of you are intense and unyielding and unbending. Listen, and thank God for you because in the storms, there is a tendency to compromise all right? There's this tendency to say, I won't move, or I won't, it's important to be able to say, I won't move, I won't give an inch, I won't compromise, I'll stand on what I know, what I know is true. The incredible thing is that the scripture says, we'll actually be both, because there are times you need to be a palm tree, and there are times you need to be a cedar. 
There are circumstances where you need to have the wisdom to say, this is where I give. I don't lose my anchor. I don't, I don't lose who I am. I stay anchored in the core of my foundation, but I need to give and flex and be flexible and adaptive and responsive to what's going on around me. And other people need to learn to not do that so much and just be strong and unmoving. And the picture here is so hopeful to me. The picture here is that as we are anchored in heavenly soil, we're actually both. How desperately does the world need people to be both? Both. 